Thank you, Greg and Suzanne. Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. It's a privilege to be preaching to you all this morning. Well, a normal icebreaker that someone would ask perhaps in a group is, what are your favorite movies? And some people like to come up with these very sophisticated, incredibly scripted movies that this is their favorite movie, and they love the plots, and they love the cinematography and the the intricacy of how everything was done. And for me, honestly, my music, my movie tastes are pretty simple, right? Um, If someone asked me what my favorite movies are, I would first of all start off with the first Space Jam, not the second Space Jam, but the first one. And then after that, I would mostly list just really a bunch of action movies. And I would particularly say two action movies, The Mask of Zorro, and then pretty much any other Batman movie, maybe except the George Clooney one, okay? That's a simple list. But as I've thought about my favorite movies, such as Batman and such as The Mask of Zorro, I've realized that both stories are centered around the main character getting even with someone who wronged him. In The Mask of Zorro, the the hero's brother was killed by the main bad guy, and the rest of the movie was just centered around the hero training to get revenge on his brother's killer. And in Batman movies and shows, the story is all built on the hero losing his parents to criminals when he was a kid and becoming a crime fighter and taking justice into his own hands. One of Batman's iconic statements in the movies and in the shows, I'm not going to do a Batman voice this morning, but one of the iconic statements in these movies and shows is, I am vengeance. And anytime I hear that, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? That's awesome, right? I wish I was Batman, right? And I think it's safe to say, I don't think I'm the only one that likes those kinds of movies where the main character seeks to get even or to get revenge on someone. For instance, three of the top 10 grossing movies of all time are titled The Avengers. And I think many of us would admit that there's something just about those movies, something about shows like that, even something about books like that, that we just tend to just gravitate toward. And there's something about those plots and seeing someone get their revenge that they were seeking. There's just something about that that we just really enjoy about a movie. And if I were to be honest, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I really don't know if that's a good thing because I wonder if those movies perhaps bring out something within us that reveals just how much we like to get even with people. And whether you like those kinds of movies or not, I think most of us can agree that there is something about the thought of getting back at someone who has hurt us. There's something about that that just feels good to us. Now, maybe it feels good to us, but my question this morning that I like to ask is, is it actually good for us to get those things? That just because something feels good doesn't necessarily mean that it is good. In fact, I would say that our craving for vengeance is not only not good for us, 
But it's something that if it consumes us, it can destroy us if we let it. And what we see in this passage that Greg and Suzanne just read for us is Jesus addressing this desire within us, the tendency to pursue retaliation. And Jesus isn't calling us to embrace that desire, and he's not calling us to pursue it. He's actually calling us to resist it. And the resistance that Jesus is calling here, if you have read this passage, this resistance that he's calling us to is not just a simple let it go and move on and act like nothing happened. But it is a radical response that not only doesn't pursue vengeance, but it also pursues reconciliation with the ones who have hurt us. Well, the title of our message this morning is The Radical Resistance to Revenge. And we're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, I think the first lesson that Jesus is desiring for us to understand is to do not pursue personal vengeance. Do not pursue personal vengeance. Verse 38 in half of verse 39 Jesus says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So here Jesus is addressing a passage that has been uh, misapplied by the people of the day. The phrase eye for an eye is found in multiple passages in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And the teaching eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth was a principle in the Old Testament that was supposed to be used as a guide for the court systems. And the purpose of that was for the court systems to be able to determine the degree of a punishment or the degree of a fine that is fitting to whatever offense was given. Now, it's debated whether eye for an eye was taken 100% literally in most cases. But regardless, the purpose of this principle was to guide the justice system with fines and punishments, and it was also to limit personal revenge that was taken by the victim. And so we see in a passage like this, Jesus's problem wasn't with this principle itself when it was used in the court system. The problem is that this principle was being used to justify personal retaliation towards someone. That if someone was slapped in the face, they would use the phrase, well, eye for an eye, to justify them slapping someone back in return. And so Jesus is teaching right off the bat, instead of trying to justify your retaliation with this principle, instead of trying to get your way with this principle, I say to you instead, do not resist the one who is evil. And it's important to understand what Jesus is saying when he says, do not resist the one who is evil. What this does not mean is, Jesus is not saying, just let an evil person say and do whatever they want to you to keep standing there and take it and don't leave until they're done. What Jesus is actually saying is, when someone commits evil towards you, do not resist or repay them by committing evil in return. It's not to say just stand there and take it. It's to say, do not respond to evil with evil. Now, this probably uh, brings up a question for most of us. And so we need to talk about, just have a little bit of word on 
the idea of self-defense, right? When we see this passage, a question probably arises when you read this, and it may be along the lines of, is Jesus teaching that I shouldn't protect myself? Is this passage, is he addressing self-defense here? And this has been debated among scholars and pastors, and the reality is the topic of self-defense isn't totally addressed in the New Testament. And while there are other passages that may or may not talk about the topic of self-defense, I would say that's not exactly where Jesus is going here. Jesus isn't saying that if you are in an abusive or dangerous or unwise situation, he's not saying that you shouldn't seek protection or that you shouldn't seek removal from that situation. He's not saying that. And he's not saying that you shouldn't seek the authorities for justice and protection in those different kinds of situations. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus also isn't applying this principle to governments and authorities when hostile forces are attacking. But what he's saying is, instead of self-defense, Jesus is talking about how we are to respond to personal attacks and also how we are to respond when facing persecution for our faith. Notice how Jesus doesn't say in the rest of this passage, if someone is preparing to slap you, or if someone is about to sue you, or if someone is about to force you to walk a mile. Jesus is talking about how we are to respond after the offense is committed, after the personal attack takes place, after we are persecuted. So ultimately, the direction that Jesus is going in this passage is that whether you are protecting yourself in certain situations or not, when the offense is committed and after the damage is done, how do you respond to that? And the reason he is teaching this is because whether something is said or done to us that's hurtful and personal, our natural response or our natural inclination is to seek vengeance, is to seek vengeance. So when Jesus says, don't resist the one who is evil. He is saying, don't return evil for evil. Don't resist evil by coming back with evil actions or evil words. And then he gives examples to the crowd of what this looks like to live out. He provides four situations that if the, the crowds ever experienced them, they would be taken as incredibly personal offenses. Verse 39 he says, if someone slaps you across the right cheek, this kind of slap is not only supposed to physically sting a little bit, it's completely intended to insult someone's integrity as a person. This is painting a picture of someone who is right-handed and who uses the back of their hand to hit someone on the right side of their face. Now, I don't know about you, that still would be disrespectful today because it's basically telling them that you are nothing and that you are beneath me. It's a really personal shot, and it's a shot at your worth. Verse 40, if someone sues you for your tunic, a tunic was a garment that was made of, of wool or linen, and it could be used for making payments. And in first century Israel, petty or pointless lawsuits didn't really happen that often. So if someone took somebody to court, it probably was for a valid reason. 
But whether a lawsuit was legitimate or has a solid case or not, taking someone to court rather than resolving it between the two of you, that's really personal. Because whether the slap was going after your integrity, the lawsuit's going after you and your belongings and the stuff that's yours. Verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, Israel was ruled by Rome at the time, and Roman soldiers would often command Jewish citizens to carry their stuff to a certain distance. And one mile or a thousand steps was usually the common requirement. And the Jews had no choice but to do it. They couldn't refuse or they would experience further punishment. And whether it was because the soldier was legitimately tired or because they just had ill intentions, the Jews hated being required to do this because it would remind them of their oppression and it would remind them of their lack of freedom. Today, it would be like if a nation or a terrorist group overthrew the U.S., and you're just casually walking down downtown Knoxville, just minding your own business, and a soldier just forced you to drop what you're doing, to just put aside what you were doing for the rest of the day and carry his gear all the way to UT's campus. That's what it would be like. And it's not just exhausting, but it's also extremely embarrassing. It's embarrassing and it reminds you that you're not as free as you thought you were. Verse 42, this likely refers to if your enemy is in any kind of need. We as followers of Jesus, with, with wisdom and with discernment, we should always be willing to give to those who are in need. But perhaps when that willingness to give is tested the most is in a situation where your enemy is in need and you have the means to provide for them. And when you think of all that person said or did to you, your heart just wants to shove it back in their face and not give them a dime of what they're asking. And so before Jesus tells the crowd how to respond to these personal offenses, he begins by telling them how not to respond. And he gets to the heart of vengeance. Don't resist the one who is evil. Don't respond to the one who is evil with evil. Vengeance isn't just actions. It all begins in the heart. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't just talk about righteousness that's just outwardly. He's talking about true, whole righteousness that's not just in our actions, but also, ultimately, in our hearts. And a desire for vengeance just, it just takes us to a place, doesn't it? it it's very powerful. That desire for, for revenge, for, for getting even, I don't know about you, but it can just take me to a really, really dark place. And the reason why it's so hard to get out of that place, out of that feeling of vengeance, is because our hearts believe that getting even will feel so good and that it will satisfy what we are craving. When we desire vengeance, it feels almost like a deep spiritual longing. It feels like our souls are just salivating, just begging to get it because we think it would feel so good. 
And whether vengeance actually takes place in your actions or not, if that feeling in you isn't addressed, it can decay your heart. And that while vengeance sounds and looks enticing, the reality is vengeance entangles us and makes us bitter the deeper it gets inside of us. So let's say we have one of these. And let's just pretend we have no idea what this is, right? Let's just pretend, all right? Just, just get this out of your mind real quick. And as you look at something like this, and as you begin to even just play with it in your hands a little bit, you just notice kind of how pleasant this can look and perhaps how pleasant this can feel. I mean, look at this, the, the white and the blue and the green. And then you just start with your hands. It just feels so squishy. It just feels so soft. I mean, look how pleasant this could be, right? And the further this gets along, the further you just start to look at it, the further you start to appreciate it, perhaps you may start to wonder, I wonder how this tastes. It looks like candy. It looks like this would be delicious in some way. Okay, pretend time over. Why shouldn't you eat one of these? Because it's laundry detergent. This is a Tide Pod. Kids, middle school, high school, any school, whatever age you guys are, I pray and hope that you guys have paid attention to me teaching you all on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings over these last two years. I pray that the Lord has used me just in your lives. But I just have to tell you this. If there's one thing that you haven't paid attention, let it be now. Do not eat one of these, okay? Do not eat one of these. This could harm you severely, and this could even kill you if you eat one of these. Do not eat these, all right? If I were to summarize for our kids in here, three things that I would like for you guys to know from my teaching is to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, is to follow Jesus and to live for him and his glory, and do not eat laundry detergent pots. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it, right? Amen, right? <laughs> now we laugh because we know it's absolutely insane to put laundry detergent in our mouths, right? No matter how squishy and no matter how nice it might look or might feel, we don't eat these because they can harm us or because they can kill us. But we struggle to think the same thing when it comes to seeking vengeance and letting it get inside of us. We picture what it would be like for someone to feel what we have felt. And we envision someone getting what we feel like they deserve. And we think it would be delicious <laughs> to get back at someone for what they did to us. But in the end, whether we do it or not, we do not feel satisfied. And instead, we end up corroding our souls in the process. There's a study that describes what eating a Tide Pod is like. A doctor said that as you put it in your mouth, it doesn't taste sweet at all because it's laundry detergent. In fact, it tastes incredibly bitter, it says. It starts to make you sick. It chemically burns your mouth. It causes shortness of breath. It blocks your airways. It makes you exhausted. And if it gets deep enough, it can burn your insides and it can kill you. 
And let me just ask, doesn't pursuing vengeance do the same thing to us? It makes our hearts bitter. It makes our words just burn. Sucks the life out of us. It exhausts us and it tears our souls apart. And we may think that scratching that itch of revenge just feels so good. But like poison ivy, the more we scratch it, the worse it gets and the more infected it gets. Vengeance doesn't heal us. It doesn't heal us. Jesus is telling us, do not repay evil with evil. And he's saying that because it won't do anything but destroy us. And I just hope we understand this morning. Revenge and healing are not friends. They are enemies. We may think getting back will heal our wounds, but they will only make them worse. Retaliation doesn't heal our hurt. And that applies to any kind of offense you've experienced from someone. Maybe it's just a sarcastic jab that someone threw your way. Maybe it's a customer or a coworker or a boss that was incredibly disrespectful to you. Maybe it's a friend that betrayed your trust. Or maybe it's something even more severe that perhaps you experienced when you were younger. Maybe you were severely bullied in school. Maybe it's a hurt that you experienced growing up with your family. Maybe a parent, maybe a spouse left you. And there's trauma and there's a deep sense of resentment towards someone. And that resentment, that bitterness, that desire for revenge, it's gotten so deep that it's consumed you where you either desire to hurt them in return or it's just leading you to hurt others around you who haven't done anything wrong to you. You bully others because you were bullied. You hurt others because you were hurt. And you lash out at people because someone used to lash out at you. And we think that's going to heal us, but it never does. It only just gets deeper in our heart, and that revenge only makes us more bitter. We're not called to pursue personal vengeance. And the first reason why is because it just doesn't heal us. It doesn't heal our souls. But the second reason why we are not called to pursue vengeance is because vengeance doesn't belong to us. Vengeance belongs to God. We just finished studying Romans here at West Park. And in Romans 12, 19, Paul teaches, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Whether we protect ourselves or remove ourselves from a dangerous situation or not, the one thing that we are certainly called to do is that after an offense of some sort is committed against us for any reason, is to not take vengeance into our hands. And scripture teaches us that because he, scripture teaches that because vengeance doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And in regards to the one who has hurt you, the ones who have hurt you, whether because of your faith or because there was some personal vendetta towards you, you are to trust their fate 
and you are to trust their judgment to the Lord. That there will be a day where God will give account for every careless word and for every wrongdoing. And if someone hasn't repented and someone hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ, God's wrath will be on them for what they've done. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and someone has harmed you or hurt you and is unrepentant of that, they show no remorse for that, you can rest assured that vengeance belongs to the Lord and that he will bring justice to those who are deserving of it. And the beauty about his vengeance is that God's vengeance is not from a personal or petty place. His vengeance is from a place of true and perfect justice. So before we move on, I just want to tell you this morning, Christian, you are not Batman. I was thinking of having that being my sermon title, but I decided to change it up last minute. Christian, you are not Batman. Vengeance doesn't belong to you. It doesn't. You're like the guys in that one Batman movie who are, are dressed like Batman, who look like Batman, but they're not Batman. They don't have the cool gadgets. They don't have the cool armor. They're wearing hockey pads. And you're trying to take vengeance into your own hands, but as a response, you just keep getting beat up and you just keep getting mauled by a bunch of dogs. Vengeance doesn't belong to you. And yes, I'm saying like God is like Batman in this scenario. And that vengeance belongs to him and that he is fully equipped to take justice into his own hands. And he doesn't need, nor does he want your help in doing so. Do not pursue personal vengeance. Do not repay evil for evil. It will only consume you instead of heal you. And it's, that's because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. So then what are we to do? When the offense happens, instead of trying to get revenge, how are we to actively respond? And that second lesson is that Jesus calls us to pursue radical reconciliation. To pursue radical reconciliation. Jesus here doesn't just say, don't respond to the offense, don't get mad, just move on and let it go. I don't know about anyone else, but I can't just let stuff go that's like a personal shot toward me. Like if I get, it's not that I'm petty all the time, but if I get a nasty email or a text message or a really hurtful phone call that's really personal, those things don't just slide off of my back. And so Jesus doesn't call us to just let it go. He calls us to respond. And while he calls us to not respond with revenge, he does call the crowd to respond with certain practical examples. And he gives us today a principle that we can use to guide us as we respond to the people who have offended us. So in verse 39, if someone slaps you across the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. That if someone stings you, if someone insults you, if someone hurts you and now you're in a place of safety and of protection, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. 
This isn't teaching that if you're suffering serious harm that you shouldn't protect yourself or not leave the situation if you can and just take it. That's not what this is teaching. What this is teaching is is that when someone has insulted you, whether with a, a backhanded slap or a spit to the face or a shove or an email, turn the other cheek by communicating with your actions and with your words that you're not going to retaliate against them. You're not going to slap them back. And you're not going to dedicate yourself to getting even with them. Turning the cheek, the other cheek sends the message, I'm not going down to this level with you. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to return what you said back to you. And what's the goal in this? Well, the prayer is for the evil to calm and to eventually come to an end. But the prayer with that also is that there's eventual reconciliation. You ever notice that retaliation never calms things down? Someone throws a sarcastic jab back to you and you just go even deeper with it and they think, oh, I just never thought about that. Sorry, didn't mean to say that the first time. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't calm things down. It makes it worse. It escalates things. Someone tells you you're worthless and you respond, well, nobody loves you. They're not like, oh, I'm calm now. That never happens. And so the goal in not returning evil for evil is to eventually seek forgiveness and to eventually seek to be reconciled with that person. Perhaps you're meeting someone for coffee who's hurt, and they just start spewing hateful words toward you. And in all of it, as you are so tempted to just go in on them on re at, in return, somehow by God's grace, you remain silent, and you decided not to return those insults for just more insults. And in a situation like that, while they may not calm down right away, and while the conversation that day may not end on a great note, with your silence and with your refrain from insults, you can communicate to them, I love you, and I'm not going to slap you back. And that leaves room for the Lord to work in their heart and for their rage to decrease and the insults to be silent. And in those moments, you are serving them and you are glorifying God and giving them opportunities for them to calm down. And the hope for that is for forgiveness and for reconciliation. You are not giving much opportunity for reconciliation if you're slapping them back in return. Turn the other cheek because your lack of retaliation loudly communicates. I love you and I want to work this out. If someone sues you for your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Back in those times, someone's cloak was way more valuable than someone's tunic. And the cloak was actually not allowed to be taken by the courts. It was too severe of a punishment. But what Jesus is teaching here is, if someone sues you for your tunic, 
give them your cloak as well. If giving them your cloak will bring back the two of you. Now, I don't know if there's a one-to-one example of this today practically. Like, I'm not sure we can take this and apply this 10 times out of 10 and say if someone's suing you for your bike that you should also give them your car. I don't think that's really the example. I don't know. But the principle is the same for us today. Do more than what is expected or required of you in order to reconcile with your neighbor. Do more than what is expected from your neighbor if it means that you guys can be forgiven and to experience reconciliation together. So maybe it is giving your car as well as the bike that you're being sued for. Maybe. Pray about it. Ask for wisdom in that. Maybe someone is suing you for money and you meet their demand and then you also say, you know what, take my watch too. You want my shoes? Go ahead and take them. Take my jewelry. Take, take whatever. You want my TV too? Like just go ahead. And that's not supposed to be said to them in like a bitter or sarcastic way. Like, okay, dude, you want my watch too? Like that's not the purpose of that. You're not supposed to respond in that way. But the posture behind something like that is, you know what, take my watch, take my wallet, take whatever you want. Because the reality is, I don't want those things more than I wanna reconcile with you. You see the difference? We are called to do more than what is expected or demanded by people who may be opposed to us. And the purpose, the goal of that is forgiveness and reconciliation with them. Someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. If a Roman soldier requires you to carry their gear for a mile, do not go that mile filled with bitterness but instead out of love and a heart to serve, go another mile carrying their, their gear. Go another mile. And again, not sure if there's an example for today. I hope none of us consider our bosses to be as oppressive as Roman soldiers. I hope that's not the case. You probably, you can leave. I mean, if that's really, maybe you can just leave. But again, what's the principle? Go above and beyond in loving and serving someone who you would be tempted to hate in this situation. In this scenario, the soldier would be shocked to see a Jew willing to carry their gear for another mile. And not just shocked to see that, but see that they're doing so lovingly and compassionately. And whatever scenario that looks like for us today, Someone who may hate us or have issues with us would be stunned and taken back if they see us go above and beyond for them to love and to serve them. And that's our calling from Jesus, to love and to serve those who oppose us for the pursuit of reconciliation. If your enemy is in need, Give to them and don't refuse your enemy who begs from you.
you may be longing for the day when the one who hurts you is in need and comes to you begging for help. Like, okay, I bet now you feel bad about what you said and what you did to me, huh? Oh, now you need my help. And when your natural response is to scoff at them, you are called to help them meet their needs. Now again, we're to do that with wisdom and discernment. There may be certain extreme instances where giving can lead to further manipulation or that giving to them wouldn't be loving to them because it could reinforce or reaffirm some harmful habits that they have. Pray about that. Have some wisdom and discernment there. But if they are truly in need, do not let what they did and do not let what they said to you and do not let your desire for vengeance stop you from giving to them. And all of these instructions, all of these examples are not so that people can just get off of our backs. And the purpose also is not to make us feel like better people. Because that vengeance that we're experiencing, that's to show we're sinners in need of a savior too, just like the person who offended us. But the purpose in all of this is to be relentless in pursuing forgiveness and in pursuing reconciliation with those who hate us. Now, I don't know about you. This is a radical teaching from Jesus. This isn't what's natural for us. This isn't what's comfortable for us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets to the heart of what a life following him is like. And when we read this, this is radically addressing our heart for vengeance and that not only are we not to respond with revenge, but we're also to respond with love. That we're not to view someone who hurts us as our enemy, we're to view them as our neighbor. Being a follower of Jesus is not normal to this world. And being a follower of Jesus doesn't just require a slight change of behavior for us. If we're going to follow Jesus, we are to leave behind our old lives, our old desires, our old ways. And instead of living how we used to live, we are to offer all of ourselves to God and to let our actions and to let our hearts be changed as we give our lives to Jesus. And in the area of our lives of vengeance and retaliation, we are no longer called to try and get even. We are called to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. And the purpose of that pursuit is our final lesson, which is we point to the radical Savior. We point to the radical Savior. Every single one of these scenarios that Jesus listed here, these are such gospel opportunities. To the Christian, what once was an opportunity to get even is now an opportunity to point to the one who saved us. 
as we have an opportunity to respond to those who have hurt us and insulted us, whether because of personal attack or because of persecution, we now have an opportunity to show them our Savior Jesus and what he did when he came to this world. Jesus, who when he was insulted and mocked, didn't respond with insult. Jesus, who when he was slapped, when he was spit on, when he was beaten, when he was lashed on his back, when he had a crown of thorns jammed into his head, and when he was put on a wooden cross by his hands and his feet, when all of that happened to him, he didn't respond in vengeance. When he had his clothes stripped from him and was given a scarlet robe for the purpose of mocking him, he didn't respond. Our Savior, who was forced to carry a wooden cross weighing at least over 100 pounds, didn't carry a cross that belonged to him. That cross belonged to us. And it wasn't just that he was carrying our wooden cross, he was carrying our sins on his shoulders. He was carrying our burdens, he was carrying our pains, he was carrying our scars. Consider our Savior Jesus who, even when we were enemies of God, which is way more than any enemy that we can have in this world, when we were enemies of God and we didn't even ask anything from him, Jesus gave himself. Didn't give us money. He gave us himself. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us his life. He gave us the relationship that he has with God the Father. He's given that to us so that we will have our needs met, so that we will have forgiveness of sins, and so that we may have eternal life in him. Jesus never told us to do anything he didn't do. And so as we deny pursuing vengeance to those who have wronged us, and as we pursue forgiveness and reconciliation with them, what an opportunity for us to point them to our Savior, Jesus. To say, I'm not going to respond to your insult with another insult. But instead, let me tell you about my Savior, Jesus, who when he was insulted before he died for us, he didn't insult in return. Let me give you my tunic and my cloak. And as I do that, let me tell you about Jesus, who was taken to court, who was taken to court and was wrongly sentenced to be crucified. As you force me to go one mile, let's go another so that I have more time to tell you about our Savior Jesus who came to serve us instead of being served. As I give to you what you ask for, let me tell you about Jesus, who when we were enemies of God, gave himself for us so that we could have eternal life. Let me just say this morning, 
you don't have to be best buddies with those who hurt you. Doesn't mean that the relationship necessarily has to be the same. Maybe wise for the relationship not to be the same. But in Jesus, you are not called to retaliate. You're called to deny vengeance. You're called to pursue reconciliation with those who have hurt you so that they may see Jesus. And perhaps as a response to that, that they may experience the reconciliation of Jesus. I close with the story of Elizabeth Elliot, who is a missionary to an unreached people group in Ecuador. And as her husband and a group of other men were attempted to reach this people group and try to have their first interactions with them, some of the people became hostile. And as a response, they began to attack Elizabeth's husband and the men that were in that group. And as a result, Elizabeth's husband, Jim Elliott, and the rest of the men in the group were speared to death and found in a river just a couple of days after that. And if you read Elizabeth's journal, days after that's happened, you read a lot of hurt, you read a lot of confusion, you read a lot of pain, and you read a lot of grief. And how can anyone blame her for that? And if she decided to just leave the country after that and just come back home, or if there, if there was a desire to, to go into that village, to, to have the authorities go into that village and to bring her husband's killers to justice, would anyone condemn her at first? But <laughs> instead of leaving the village and instead of letting herself be consumed with vengeance, Elizabeth and the other women she was with stayed put to live with and to minister to the people who killed their husbands, to share the love of Jesus. And as a response to them staying, as a response to them not being consumed with vengeance, those people in that village came to faith in Christ. And Elizabeth recorded one of the interactions and says, now that we think about God, we will not kill anymore. <laughs> Their lack of vengeance showed these hostile people who Jesus is. And during this time, there was an interaction that Elizabeth had with one of the women in the village. And this woman was believed to be the wife of the man who killed Elizabeth's husband. And the journal entry that Elizabeth wrote that day says, her husband killed mine and I love her. The love of Jesus Christ heals us from our vengeance. The grace, the reconciliation of Jesus heals us not just from our sins, but from the scars that other people have left us. And it enables us to point 
those who have wronged us to the saving grace of Jesus Christ as a response. And if you think that it's insane to love and forgive those who you may call your enemies, think of Jesus dying for you when you were an enemy of God. The way of Jesus, not our way, but the way of Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that when we were your enemies, that when we hated you, that we went against you in our words and in our actions, when we were your enemies, you sent your son Jesus to reconcile us to yourself. Father, I don't know everyone's stories in here. I don't know everyone's hurt. And Lord, I'm so sorry for them that they have experienced the pain and the hurt that they have experienced from people. But Lord, help them understand and help them see vengeance isn't going to heal them. Your love, Lord, your son Jesus heals them. The pursuit of reconciliation and the pursuit of pointing those who have done wrong to them. The purpose of that is to point them to your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you change our tendency to pursue vengeance so that we may pursue love, that we may pursue forgiveness, and so that, Lord, our enemies may be pointed to our Savior, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.